This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, Saul Rejected as King. It comes from 1 Samuel 15, 1-35. Before I start my lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601 483 and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk Inc. P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to Word Talk Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Again, that's radiobibleclass with no space between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. You can also catch us on iTunes by going over to the podcast section and searching for WMR. Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Now today we pick back up in the book of 1 Samuel. Like I said, we're, we're over in chapter 15 now. Earlier, a couple of weeks back, we saw how God took away Saul's dynasty. How Saul acted foolishly, how he acted out of fear, and God said there was someone else that he was going to make king, a man after his own heart. But now we've come to this final stage where God rejects Saul as king. And Saul completes his downward slide right here in today's lesson. I was talking to one of my friends that listens on a regular basis, and he was saying, Tim, why do you think God didn't give Saul an opportunity and he so quickly pulled him out of being king? Well, I corrected him real quick. I said, God has given him every opportunity to be the king that he should be, for him to succeed as king. But Saul fell because of his own foolish choices. He left God out of his choices, and we talked about that even last week. And Saul's final downward slide is going to be his disobedience, his pride, his self-deception that he knows what's good, and that as long as he kind of goes with the flow, everything will be okay. And that's going to create his final rejection. I've got a lot to cover, and there's a bunch of verses in this chapter, so turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll read the first six verses to start with, and I'll be reading out the ESV. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over the people of Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. Both kill the man and the woman and the child and the infant and the ox and the sheep and camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telam. 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. 
And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Canaanites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you have shown kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. And we're going to stop right there for now. So the first thing I want you to see from this section or this group of scripture right here, the first six verses, is that he is given a clear, a radical command through Samuel from God to go and destroy Amalek. And the problem is his partial obedience that we'll see in a minute is disobedience. And you need to understand that when you only partially obey, then you're being disobedient. When God tells you to do something, he doesn't say do it most of the time. When God calls us to be obedient, then we are to be fully obedient. Partial obedience is disobedience. I know what some of you are going to say. Right here, we get this radical command. And you know what? That God's command are not always easy to obey. And right here, we have a difficult section of Scripture. And I really don't have time today to go in and unpack all of it. You may be wondering, well, Tim, why is God commanding the Israelites to totally destroy the enemy, including the women and children? Now, they didn't do anything. They're innocent. How can that be possible? How can that be right? If God is a loving God, how could he command them to do this? And if I was just talking about this first six verses, then you know what? I would take more time to explain why God said what he said and how he is a giver and a taker of life. And God's righteous judgment on sin is always tough. There's going to come a day where he is going to pass judgment and send people away into eternity, into hell, into the eternal fiery furnace because they never accepted him. And you might even go as far as to say, Tim, there are people that are going to be sent to hell that did good things for God. They did good acts. But that's not what the Bible teaches us we're supposed to do. We're supposed to admit that we're a sinner. We're supposed to confess with our mouth that we're a sinner and that we need him as Lord and make him Lord of our life. Works do not save us. It doesn't matter how many times you've gone to church. It doesn't matter that your dad is a pastor or a deacon or a preacher. It doesn't matter that your mom plays the organ or the piano or she took you to church every time the doors open. Unless you ask God to be Lord of your life, you are lost. The Bible is crystal clear on that. Your parents can't save you. Your pastor can't save you. No one in the church can save you. Now, they can lead you to the Lord. The Holy Spirit can use them to help convict you, but you have to save yourself. But back to the point of this being a really radical and tough judgment, all through the Old Testament, we find where God brought his final judgment on sin, and he did it radically, and he did it, and it was tough. But God is a loving God. If you study the Old Testament, even when he radically judged the people on their sin, he always gave them an opportunity first to forgive, to ask for forgiveness, to repent of that sin. And then the final thing I would say is God is God. It's just plain and clear that God is always just in his action. He understands what he's doing and he knows what we don't know. So here's a unique time in the Old Testament where God spoke through Samuel to Saul and he wants him to bring judgment against the sin of the Amalekites. And we see right here that it's the nation of Israel that is going to be used by God to bring the judgment against the sin. But let's change the focus for a second. 
God's commands are not always easy to obey. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 6, 24, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is saying that you have to deny yourself. You have to make the tough choice. You have to be willing to sacrifice and suffer for him just like he did. And Jesus is warning each and every one of us as followers that that's not an easy commandment. That if you're going to live a life, then you're going to have to suffer and it's going to be tough and it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy to obey. But if we're going to be a follower of Christ, then we have to do exactly what Jesus says. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him and follow his commandments. But I want you to see in verse 7 through 9 that Saul kind of followed the command, but he didn't fully follow. He didn't fully obey. He partially obeyed. Look at verse 7 through 9 with me. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Halavai as far as Shur, which was east of Egypt. And he took Agai, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agai and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. And all that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. So we see in these two verses that Saul did some of what God told him to do. He went down, he overcame the Malachites, and he killed most everybody there, but he kept the king, and he kept also the best animals. Now, he kept whatever he considered good, and he destroyed whatever he considered bad. And I want you to notice what I said. He kept what he considered good and destroyed what he considered bad. In other words, Saul's obedience was only partial obedience. And I've already told you that partial obedience is still disobedience. In Psalms 119, the psalmist tells us that we are to follow the Lord's precepts and be fully obeyed to them. We are to follow steadfast in obeying your decrees. You know, God's commands are to be fully obeyed, which is why we need a Savior, isn't it? Because we can't perfectly obey His commandments. If you try to do it in your own strength, you'll never be able to do it. you got to have the Holy Spirit, and you got to have Jesus' power to do it. When Jesus died on the cross, he offered us his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins so that everyone who believes in him might be saved. Only Jesus obeyed perfectly. The rest of us are operating on partial obedience, and partial obedience is still disobedience. And so that's our first principle today I want you to understand. And the next principle I want you to see is that sin grieves God. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me real quick. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. The Lord knows everything. He knows even the hair that's on your head. So he knew that Saul was going to turn away from him. But even though God knew that Saul was going to be disobedient or partial obedient, that he was going to still give him opportunity to be king. He still grieved that he did what he did. That's what the Bible tells us right here. You need to remember that God grieves when you sin. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed with for the day of redemption. We should always remember how much it grieves God when we sin. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know we're going to sin, 
but he still gives us an opportunity to not sin, and it grieves him when we make that decision. That's how much he loves us. And what the Bible clearly says is that God's heart was broken over Saul's disobedience. The man who started out humble and submitted to God eventually went his own way in disobedience. But also, look, it not only grieved God, but it grieved Samuel. What you see in verse 11 is that Samuel had God's heart. It hurt God to reject Saul. The Bible tells us that. But it also hurt God's prophet Samuel to see him rejected. When we have a close relationship with God, then the very things that grieve him grieve us also. So we saw partial obedience is disobedience. We've looked at how sin grieves God. Now look how pride comes before the fall. Look at verse 12 with me real quick. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul, come to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Here, the prophet of the Lord says, come to Carmel. I need to talk to you. And what does he do instead of listening to the prophet of the Lord? The very prophet that helped him become king through God anointing him. He, what does he do? He builds a monument for himself. And then he goes down to Gilgal. He ignores Samuel. We look at this monument. It just shows that his pride that he had. Instead of giving God the credit for that victory, he sets up a monument in his own honor. You might go, well, Tim, I'm never going to go around and build a statue of myself, but there's other ways that you build monuments in your own honor. You brag about your own accomplishments. You know, you're setting up a monument in your own honor when you do that. When you refuse to give someone else credit, you're setting up a monument in your own honor. For those of you that use social media, look at your social media feed. Are you using that to encourage and serve others? Or are you using that to build yourself up? This is one of the ways that we see pride in our life. Pride and sin go together. Pride is sinful, and sin is prideful. Think about it. Whenever you choose to sin, you're choosing your way over God's way. If that's not pride, I don't know what is. We read in Proverbs 8.36, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Now notice how pride and sin and evil are all intertwined right here in Proverbs 8. You cannot separate sin from pride. And as the old saying goes, pride comes before the fall. Saul's pride has certainly contributed to this downfall that, he, well, that we're going to see. Obviously, pride comes before the fall, like the saying said, but guess what? Sin can't be justified. But when we're prideful, we try to justify our sin. We justify it to ourselves. Look at verses 13 through 16 with me real quick. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ear, and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have been brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. And what do we see right here? We see Saul starts justifying why he kept the sheep, why he keeps the oxen. And Samuel calls him out. He says, Well, if you perform the commandment, then why do I hear sheep in my ear? Why do I hear the moo of cow? And then Saul starts religious speech. Well, we're going to use it for a sacrifice. What I want you to see is Saul was blind to his own sin because he was justifying it in his mind. 
he actually had the gall to walk right up to Samuel and tell him that he obeyed God. Samuel wasn't buying it. He said, I hear the sheep. I see the cattle. God said to destroy everything, and that's not what you've done. And then Saul tries to redirect it. He tries to justify it. He says, oh, well, the sheep are for a sacrifice. The ox are for a sacrifice. But we killed everything else. And Samuel says, stop. Just stop. Again, Proverbs has something to say about this. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. When you sin against God, don't try to justify your sin. Samuel said, just stop. I'm telling you, stop. Just stop. Look at that with me real quick at verse 17 through 19. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission, and he said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Like I said, Samuel tells him, stop, I don't want to hear your lies anymore. God has been good to you, Saul. He took you from nothing and he anointed you as king. He gave you everything you needed in order to succeed. And yet you fell because you used your own decision. You didn't obey God. You didn't listen to God. You made your own decision. One of the poor decisions was forgetting that God had been kind to him. He let his pride get in the way. I'm king. I can decide what's, what we're going to do. And that's what the Bible tells us. We read in Romans 2, 4 that, Do you show contempt for the riches of kindness? Tolerant and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. See, sin is deceptive. We can sometimes forget all that God has done for us and how much we owe him because of what he's done and how we can never repay him for what he's done. We forget about God's kindness and how he set us up and given us a way to rise from nothing. And when we realize that and when we remember that, guess what? We tend to be obedient. But here we see that Saul forgot all that. And what did he do? He did it his own way. So I want you to understand that you rebel when you reject God's word. And we really see that when we start looking at verses 20 through 23. Look at those with me real quick. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agai, the king of the Amalekites. And I have devoted to the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoils, the sheep and the ox, and the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, As the Lord has great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Let me repeat that one verse. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination, and presumption is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. What we see here is Saul still doesn't get it. He thinks partial obedience is okay. It's obedience because he partially obeyed. And Samuel just cuts right to the heart of the matter. He says, Saul, 
You rejected God's word. Therefore, God has rejected you. And what you need to learn is rejecting God's word is rebellion against God. Your sacrifices of God are meaningless, is what he says, without the obedience. When I was in Bible school, I was a DJ, and I used to listen to a guy named Keith Green. He wrote a song that was written from God's perspective. To obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. See, God doesn't need our money. God just wants us. He wants our heart. And what Saul thinks is, well, I can make it good by just doing a sacrifice. And what Samuel tells him is that sacrifices are meaningless if you're disobedient, if you don't obey God's word, that there's no repentance in the heart. Paul wrote about this to the church at Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4.8 says, Therefore, he who rejects the instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Rejecting God's word is rebellion against God. And then the last thing I want you to see, because I'm running out of time, is that there is a long-term, lasting, and painful consequences when we disobey. Look at verses 24 through 31 real quick. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go away, and Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to the neighbor of yours, who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. And then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agai, the king of the Malachites. And Agai came to him cheerfully. Agai said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Saul hacked Agai to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Ramai, and Saul went to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So right here we see out of a desperate act, out of an act of desperation, he reaches out and he tears the corner of Samuel's robe. But it was too late. His downfall was complete. God had allowed him to rise all the way up to be king of Israel. But now through a series of bad choices, the king was being torn from the kingdom. He was being torn away just like that robe got torn. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from what nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, well, the Spirit will reap eternal life. A man reaps what he sows. What you should learn from this is that as a Christian, God will forgive your sin. He will forgive you of what you've done wrong, but he doesn't always remove the circumstance. He doesn't remove the consequence. When you go out and have premarital sex and the person that you're with becomes pregnant, 
God can forgive you of the premarital sex, but he doesn't take the pregnancy away. When you steal, God can forgive you of stealing. When you murder, God can forgive you of murder. But, but the jail time you have to serve because you stole or you murdered is still the consequences and it can be long lasting. I'm completely out of time. So let me close with this final thought real quick. Did you know a person can have 20-20 vision and yet be nearsighted spiritually? And that's what happened when someone pursues a short-term desire instead of obeying God, being partially obedient. And that's what we see today. You know, the values of God are faith and virtue and self-control and faithfulness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Right here we see where Saul was the first king. And we see right here today where he decided that his way was better than God's. That he was going to take what was the best of the best and keep it. And what happened? The Lord took his kingdom away from him. And he gave it to David. Now sadly, we'll see later that David himself is another example of this. He was faithful to God many years, but in a moment of weakness, he made a devastating choice. His desire for Bathsheba led to him to commit both adultery and murder. Now, although he repented and was forgiven, the consequences of his sin impacted the rest of his life. To avoid this kind of mistake, just like Saul did, just like David did, we need to prioritize God's long-term goal for us. In other words, we need to cherish his word and we need to pray. We need to be close to him. We need to look to him and not to ourselves. And then the temptation won't be as strong. We'll have more strength to overcome that temptation when we are walking in faith with godly virtues. So today, are you spiritually nearsighted? If so, turn it over to God. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you for this lesson. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for this ministry. Lord, but today you showed us that partial obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And that when we sin, that it grieves you. And when we're close to you, what grieves you grieves us. And what makes you happy makes us happy. Lord, let us never be prideful. Because we can understand that when pride comes into our life, it's just a short time before we fall. And you know what? That fall is that we allow sin in. We start trying to do it our way and we take the glory and we do it without consulting you. And then when we get called on the carpet about it, too many times we try to justify what we did. But most importantly, Lord, let us understand that when we reject your word, when we turn against your word, that we rebel against you. And because of that, we sin. And when we sin, that sin can have a consequence. That you'll forgive us. Through your grace, you forgive us. Through your grace, you sent your son. And so we can have forgiveness of that sin. But the consequences that come along with that sin don't go away. They last with us for whatever that, that consequence is. Today, Lord, there's probably one that's just now learning this principle in life and how hard it is that those consequences can be. Lord, I pray today that you would just comfort them. Lord, if they haven't turned it over to you, I pray that they would. Lord, maybe today there's one that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray today that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. They would ask you to come into your heart. They would believe on your finished work on the cross. They would confess that they're a sinner and they need you to be Lord of their life. And Lord, they would follow after your word. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you give this ministry. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.